powerful insight. Thank you, Jürgen, and thank you, Anne. You can take a seat. Uh, I'm going to speak today about belonging, and actually it dovetails beautiful off that illustration from Jürgen. Thank you for sharing that, uh, which is really our origin begins in our mother's womb and in our heavenly DNA, which is woven into who we are, even in our mother's womb. And uh, I was ministering in Noosa last weekend, and I had a word for a um, really successful young business guy. And the picture that I saw actually uh, was his head on the chest of the father. And I saw the father's arm around him, and I saw in that place of union his head listening to the heart of the father, that it would reorientate him back to his true identity. And actually the oil I saw flowing over his mind as he listened to the father. And really that's a posture for us all, to spend our life with our head on the chest of the father, listening to our identity in him, listening to the heartbeat of the father, keeping attuned to our identity in him. So belonging is uh, the overarching title here today. And I believe that belonging is one of the greatest needs in the heart of humanity. And I, I saw a picture as I was preparing this word of um, one of those little drawstring bags just being cinched in. You know, when you pull the strings on a little bag, it cinches in, it tightens in. And I just got the sense the Lord is um, cinching in uh, people to himself and the relationships in the wider life um, of the church. And uh, really belonging creates a sense of secured place and value and identity, and it settles the human heart. You know, there's less mental gymnastics on the inside of us when we know that we belong. In him, there's nothing to prove. There's nothing to strive for. We're already fully accepted. Uh, you know, even Jesus needed to belong. And I think this is why John, the beloved, was so dear to Jesus, uh, because John saw him, the human Jesus, not just the Messiah, but the human. And I feel like there was an understanding on that heart level. I see you, Jesus. I see you, Son of God, but I see you, Son of Man. I see you. Uh, I remember as a, uh, an 18-year-old moving from regional South Australia where I was born and raised and landing in the entrepreneurial hustle-bustle city of Sydney. Uh, and it, it challenged my sense of identity. Um, I, I had a bin, a CD rack and my suitcase full of clothes. <laughs> I didn't have a lot and I landed in a really affluent part of Sydney. Everybody was blonde, I was brunette. <laughs> I was this... Um, little kid from the country and it forged and formed and challenged my sense of identity and it was a valuable test. Um, every now and then it's good for there to be a bit of rumble around your identity because if you can come out clearer then it's worth it. And so um, I remember there was this beautiful soul, Louis, who saw me like John the Beloved saw Jesus across the way, across the mass. It was a large busy church. I remember going to her connect group and finding place in the fold of this large um, church on the northern beaches. Since the very beginning of the Foster Tunkari journey, I would say that Anne, she was on keys for us today, made me feel at home, made me feel like I belonged. You know, Pastor Hartz and I landed in Foster Tunkari like missionaries from Port Macquarie. 
And I remember coming in and instinctively feeling at home with Ange. And sometimes I would come in and I would find shelter in Ange. I still do. She's a nurturer. And also she's a person of the spirit. And I find people of the spirit are my people. And so they're my tribe. And so Husey and Matt, others that are people of the spirit, I tend to click with. And I love that. Um, But Ange made me feel like home. She made me feel like I belonged. And I would say John and Annette Armitage are two people from this camp that have that incredible grace uh, to make you feel seen and like you belong. Raise your hand if you've met John and Annette Armitage. Wow. (laughs) A large contingent of you have known their kindness and their grace, and it's beautiful. Um, I've heard it said that the opposite of belonging is fitting in. Fitting in is assessing a group of people and thinking, who do I need to be to fit? What do I need to wear? How do I need to act? And the world needs to know that they can come as they are. That they can come and belong. And I want to say to every person in this room today, you belong. Lil, you belong. Soph, you belong. Cece, you belong. You don't just have to fit in. You belong here. You belong with us. Nigel, you belong. You and your beautiful family, you belong. Little baby, you belong. (laughs) Nice to hear the voice of a little one. When we feel seen, we sense we belong. Nothing worse than feeling invisible in a room. And God sees us. And ultimately, we belong to him. And Acts 17, 28 in the Amplified Bible says, For in him we live and move and exist. That is in him we actually have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, For we also are his children. We are in him. We exist in him, not apart from him. We are the kingdom. The kingdom is in us. Uh, When we have a a circle of connections uh, of likeness, we sense we belong. When we have our people, we belong. I love the overflow, young adult community springing it up. It's a place where young people belong. They're finding their tribe within the greater tribe. Likeness creates a sense of belonging. And sometimes this seasonally changes uh, in the shape of the greater life story of the church. Who's found over the breadth of life? Maybe you've had a pocket of friends. Things evolve. Seasons shift. You're relocated. There's a new circle of likeness. Uh, you grow up, you move into a, a different circle of likeness, like the Lord moves us, it's, it's, a, it's a mobile evolution, isn't it? And he takes us through these different circles and relationships. Uh, and many times over, he, he moves us in our circle of connections. And, uh, and if you find yourself um, removed or sitting like an island, I would say, ask the Lord to reveal your people for this season. I found that he's given me people for the season. He's found that to be true. He's faithful in that. 
I would say be patient and be faithful in that. Um, Because I've also found that sometimes he allows a suspension before the new provision. And sometimes you feel like, where are my people? What is going on? Sometimes I've found he allows a suspension before the new provision. And this tests our ability to be content in our oneness with him. And many times in life, he'll test our ability to be content in our oneness with him. Before he adds more to it. And other times it's like a surplus of friends. You can't get around them all. There's a wild abundance. And also sometimes we need to cross the room and be the brave little soldier. Cross the room and connect uh, and not wait for our people to gravitate to us. And I would encourage us all, be brave, friends. Uh, Cross the room. Find your people. Don't wait for them to gravitate to you. Um, I remember seeing Sarah Strayhorn across the schoolyard at Heritage School uh, when we first landed in town only four and a half years ago. And I thought, who is this phenomenal human? I have to know her. And thank God I have gotten to know her and she is just as I thought she was. She's a gift to our region. But I crossed the schoolyard. I was compelled. I'm like, I have to know this person. So cross the, cross the room, friends. Sometimes the influences of the soul cause us to feel unseen. And this is where I would ask us, are we being led by the soul or the spirit? See, the counsel of the soul is an interesting thing. Uh, as opposed to the counsel of the spirit. Uh, It's not pure. It tends to be a counterfeit truth. It distorts the word to serve its purpose in many cases. The murky counsel of the soul. Um, At times as a pastor, I felt like uh, Charlie in the Chocolate Factory. Has anybody seen that film? Uh, So what happens is Charlie... Um, leads this amazing chocolate factory and there's these golden tickets distributed to these kids and the ones that are lucky enough to get the golden tickets come to Charlie's factory and he takes them on a tour and uh, he is cautioning the kids at times that not all the experiments are complete so he cautions the child don't go near the blueberry lolly next minute the child is taking the blueberry lolly and turns into a giant blueberry has anybody seen the film Uh, And then the saga continues and there's a chocolate river in Charlie's factory. How cool. And the kids are leaning too far over the chocolate factory. Next minute, one of the kids falls in, gets sucked up the thing, off to another part of the factory. And the whole time, Charlie's like, I tried to caution you about that, but you were led by your own soul. And now look what's happened. And many times as a pastor, it's... um, My position as shepherd is to ask the Lord, do I do, do I pray, or do I say the things that you're revealing to me about the flock that we're tending, that we love and care about and are giving our life for? And sometimes he gives us permission to do, sometimes to say, many times to pray, more times to pray. I have carved a track on Lighthouse Beach praying for many of you and you wouldn't even know. 
but I love you. At times my heart is heavy, at times my heart is light with joy. It's a um, treacherous winding road, isn't it? This life road, it's amazing. So the counsel of the soul tends to serve the will of the person. The counsel of the spirit, on the other hand, uh, is the high road. It's often more costly, the more costly route. Uh, But there is great reward when we listen to the still, small voice. Who's grateful for the still, small voice? Oh, my goodness. The voice of wisdom and understanding that is always available for us. He's the ultimate companion, as Al said earlier today. So when we exited uh, Sydney in uh, 2019, which feels like just yesterday, uh, it felt both like being led out and being driven out. It was a time of um, turmoil and contention and testing. Uh, And the counsel of the Spirit revealed, I am leading you out and into a new chapter. And we had to quieten the white noise and attune to the Spirit in order to be led by the Spirit. And I want to encourage you in significant transitional shifts, don't rely on the counsel of the soul. It's murky waters, it's not wisdom. And it can lead us into the chocolate stream. (laughs) So uh, my encouragement is to slow down around the transitions in life. Jeremiah 17 tells us, unfortunately, that the heart is deceitful above all things. It's amazing how powerful the heart is when we really want something, when our will really wants something, how we'll dress up and even deceive ourselves. (laughs) It's an unfortunate reality in humanity, isn't it? So we all need a Mordecai in our lives, and Mordecai was the voice of wisdom that counselled young Esther, the uncle. We all need an an uncle Mordecai in our lives. Uh, My parents have been the steady voice of the spirit of wisdom through my life. I'm so grateful for them, their prayers and their counsel. So I would say at the crossroads, look to the shepherds and the prophets And give them permission to speak truth. If there's one thing I could say as a pastor to the congregation, it would be give me permission to speak truth. Many times I see things, but there is such a a measure of um, defensiveness or independence um, that I feel like I'm only permitted to pray. I'm actually not invited to speak truth. And so my hands are tied, but boy, I'll get before the Father and cry out on your behalf. Um, But if you grant permission to speak truth, where there is a sense of trust and wise counsel, and not just me, but the Mordecai's in your life, if you grant them permission to speak truth, uh, we need both the prophet and the shepherd's voice. They're two different sounds, and they'll tend to um, round one another out and bring a sense of wholeness. Uh, Matthew 6.39 in the message describes the breadth of the kingdom like this. Jesus got them all to sit down in groups of 50 or 100 and they looked like a patchwork quilt of wildflowers spread out on the green grass. I love this picture of the kingdom. When the Lord looks down on the kingdom of Port Macquarie, Hastings, the mid-north coast, 
um, you know, there's the C3 camp, which looks like a patchwork quilt with wildflowers on the hillside. You know, he's seeing the breadth of the kingdom, the expression of the kingdom. And I think uh, if you zoom in on this patchwork quilt, belonging is the stitch that holds each one in place. I don't think you'd be here if you didn't feel you belong in the spirit, not just the natural. It's not about all the the flash or these beautiful paintings on the wall, how good the coffee is. It's in here. You know, you feel the stitch. You know in here, I belong here. I'm called here. This is my tribe. This is the place that the Lord's located me in the breadth of his kingdom. Uh, there is a molecule called laminin. It is a protein that holds humans together. I know that Greg Turner knows about this. I discovered that at Foster as I was sharing there. Under the microscope, it's shaped as a cross. Um, molecular biologists call laminin the glue of the body because without it, our bodies would fall apart. And there is a current and a force running through this community that holds this wider body together. I want to read Colossians 1.17 in the Amplified Bible. And he himself existed and is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the controlling, cohesive force of the universe. There is this undercurrent, this flow. That's why Steph's here, because she can feel it. She can feel her peace in this dynamic and in this equation. We're not here per chance. Our will determined, this is home, and I'm going to show up here. He is the cohesive force, the invisible link in the universe and in our church family. And so over our, our church family, I just sense that, the drawstring bag being cinched in, the Lord pulling it in, strengthening and securing and deepening relationships, the stitch that holds each one in place, and mostly drawing people to himself. Who can feel that? I feel this compulsion and this pull, come a little deeper, come a little closer, come a little deeper, come a little nearer. I feel it, this compulsion. So this place has historically and will always be a place of soft borders, I call it. People will enter in and it will be a safe haven. And I would say uh, the hosts of this house, which is us, it's every single one of us, we are the hosts of this house, need to be whole because some will come in with an orphan spirit. And we heard about this recently, the nature of the orphan spirit. And so we need to be prepared to absorb um, some behaviour, which happens uh, with the orphan spirit. And I just want to quickly um, outline the traits of the orphan spirit. So this is performance-based versus obedience-based motivation. So performance-based to gain approval, go over and beyond to people, please, gain accolade, recognition, acceptance, belonging, praise, and identity. So this is how the motivation works with the orphan spirit. An anger response versus resting in the father's ability to be in control of the future. At times, there'll be a flare of anger, a reaction, particularly if they feel they're losing control. Tendencies of anger and frustration. When someone is praised or someone close to the person you're close to occupies a space, a, a territorial response. Isolation. 
They feel unwanted, unseen, unloved, unappreciated, not valued, not needed, separating themselves from the body. Entitlement, demanding and controlling. Starts as a victim, nobody loves me, I'm rejected, demanding honour and respect, insecurity. Jealousy versus moving out of love and acceptance. Insecure of another's success versus celebrating the success of another. These are the traits of the orphan spirit. FYI, when you navigate out in your sphere of influence, what to look for. Um, I think in serving, many of whom were orphans or um, at-risk young people in the context of War Hope Youth uh, the last three years, uh, taught me about the reality of navigating the orphan spirit. Uh, the first nine months was like walking into a headwind of constant rejection. I, I actually, I would try and get inroads with these kids, eye contact, a little conversation. I had to find the soft parts amongst them because they, in their shyness, they were locking me out socially. And so there was nine months of walking into this headwind, constant rejection. And then at about that nine-month point, it's like something broke and I had immunity with these young people. And I was in the inner circle and they trusted me. They still rough-handed me. <laughs> and they still swore at me like sailors. Um, but I was in. I had broken through. And uh, many times, love is a very powerful force. And if we are consistent in it, many times it can break down the assignment of isolation and rejection. Uh, and we can move in. Uh, the, the, the nature of the orphan spirit, which I saw really clearly in that setting, is to reject or control before it is rejected. It wants the upper hand for fear of rejection. And that's what that scenario taught me. I'm so grateful the Lord sent me into the precious trenches of War Hope Youth so I could learn a few things. It, it was a great schooling environment. Proverbs 18.10 says the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runs to it and is safe and set on high, far above evil. This house is a benevolent house. This house will be a benevolent house for our community that ones can run into and seek shelter. Uh, this house will embrace and I believe disarm the orphan spirit in Jesus' mighty name by the power and the strength of his love that it will break down that assignment and that they'll come in and settle in this house and send their roots down and flourish in this house in Jesus' mighty name. Uh, several times in prayer for this area, I saw Jesus sitting in the dust with the woman that was caught in adultery, just tracing his finger in the sand. And I love this picture. I feel like it's for our Foster Tunkari and our Port Macquarie house, that we will be a place that shelter the social orphan. And this woman was rejected for her behaviour and he sat with her in the dust. He covers the social orphan and that is the heart of this house he spared her judgment and he covered her and 1 Peter 4 8 in the King James Version says and above all things have fervent charity among yourselves for charity shall cover the multitude of sins love covers a multitude of sins and there is a power in love covering because it maintains dignity and I'm a big believer 
in a pastoral sense, not exposing someone's vulnerability. Love covers. Love keeps bridges out to the ones in our community that have removed themselves. Love covers, but actually the truth sets us free. And I feel like, oh, we need love cover, absolutely, we need that. But I don't just want to be a church that covers. I want to be a church that sees people set free. So love covers and the truth sets us free is going to be imperative in the days ahead. See, covering is not dismissing or unseeing. It's just not exposing. It's attending to, like in a surgery, uh, in a protected and a focused environment. And this is why I recommend Soul Care, uh, which is running Tuesday nights off the back of the altar. A whole bunch of women went through on a Thursday morning. A whole bunch of people are going through on a Tuesday night. Raise your hand if you've been impacted by Soul Care. Actually, again, so many people, which thrills me as a pastor. It illuminates the blind spots, doesn't it, friends? Uh, and the blind spots of the soul and, it rest- and restoring the foundations also, which is a great ministry that runs uh, in this community. Uh, and this does the work of the heart surgeon in a protected and focused environment. And I would encourage you, step in on a Tuesday night, bring your family. I'm bringing my kids because I want them to have emotional intelligence about this stuff. I don't want them to get to their 40s and have to work it out. And so I'm bringing my teenagers and they're gleaning and they're learning a lot. I just don't believe that we're called to navigate life with a limp. I really see the Lord calling the bride into greater wholeness. I'm going to ask the worship team to come as I just finish here this morning. And uh, I was leading a team of intercessors um, maybe six years ago um, for Presence, which was a big international conference we had in one of the big Acer arenas in Sydney Uh, and we were taking time in the weeks and months leading up to just prepare in prayer and I had a vision in this time and it was of the door that led to the section where a lot of the pastors would sit so all the pastors would come from across the movement and that have seating in this particular section in in the presence conference And in this vision, I saw them come and I saw them laying their weapons down, their weapons of warfare, their mantles of ministry at the door, stacking them up high as they entered into the atmosphere of this presence, encounter, atmosphere. And I saw them going in, not with all their weaponry and armour on, but I saw them going in soft tunics, entering into the presence, leaving their, their weapons at the door. And I just sense that this morning, the Lord's calling us just to lay our weapons down, even remove some of that outer armour and just to come soft before the Lord. When we enter into belonging, we enter into rest. And this atmosphere is not about our works. This is about our being. Belonging is about being. And when we enter into his presence, we enter into rest. Just going to ask you to close your eyes right across the room. Lord, I just thank you for the 
sense of validation in this room, validating identity in Christ in this atmosphere right now. I thank you, Lord, you're settling some grapplings in some people's hearts in this atmosphere this morning. There is the spirit of validation in this room. The great I am says who you are. I thank you, Lord, you're settling the scores in people's hearts. I thank you in your presence is rest. There's nothing we can do, say or add to the validation which comes from you. And I thank you for the settling, the settling, the settling in this atmosphere. Thank you, Lord, you're leading us into rest. You're leading us into rest. You're leading us into rest. We lay our weapons down. We take the heavy armour off. We come as we are. Striving falls away. Confusion falls away. Intimidation falls away. Insecurity falls away. I thank you, Lord, we are complete in you. spirit of adoption in this place. May you pull us into yourself. Our head rested on the chest and the heart of the Father. words, just to bring your heart before him. Let his light shine into the corners and by his spirit surface anything that needs to be surfaced, anything that undermines your sense of belonging, your sense of oneness, your sense of acceptance, your sense of validation. in our side have to go in this next chapter we can't be running with a limp it'll create a lag it'll slow us down the thorns have to go in this chapter
feel a spirit of repentance in the room. You know, the Bible tells us it's His kindness that leads us to repentance. It's His kindness. He's not heavy-handed. He doesn't coerce. He illuminates. He convicts. He instructs. He doesn't abandon us. It's His kindness. It's His kindness. It's His kindness. So I want to encourage you, if you need to kneel, kneel. I feel like I'm going low more than I'm standing these days. I feel compelled low more than I feel to stand. But if you want to stand, stand. If you want to kneel, kneel. But this is an atmosphere, a heart-to-heart atmosphere. And things shift in the stillness.